Well, what, a, what an absolute blessing it is to have people serve us that way. And oh, worship is definitely better when it's not just me with no instruments. Um, but we will do that if we need to. All I know is, as the scriptures say, if, if we don't proclaim glory to God, the rocks will cry out. Um, I'm not going to let a rock outpraise the Lord. So, well, <clears throat> turn back with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're, we're continuing through this Truth Matters series. And as I'm reminded about this, it's, it's, it's truth must matter. It, it has to matter, especially in a postmodern world that doesn't believe in any absolutes, right? There is no absolute truth, which, which is always amazing to me, when the, especially when they're debating or arguing. It's like, you know, I just want to ask the question, well, you don't believe in anything, so why are you upset in what the other person across from you believes in? At least they have a standard of beliefs. Um, but let's not let logic, you know, get in the way. I mean, the reality is the only thing that matters is truth. Tr truth is the only thing that matters. It's not our feelings. It, it, it's not our emotions. It's not, you know, our, our parents. It's, it's not the, the denominations we, we think we belong to. Th that's not what matters. What matters is the truth. The only thing that we know is absolutely true comes from the word of God. And so, this idea of, of knowing what morality is, understanding what morals are, has to come from God himself, which we get through his scripture. One of the things that we've been addressing is this issue of the, the social justice warrior, right? And now, now, keep in mind, for some, that's uh, somewhat of an antagonistic statement. For others, they wear that as a badge of honor. They, they like being social justice warriors. They're, they're part of an army. They're, they're part of a movement. Words are important. When you hear words, when you hear labels, think through them for a second. Think about what they're calling themselves. We are an army of, of social justice, right? And, and the question is, well, is that really how we make the world a better place? Through social, what, what's really political justice. Um, they haven't proven themselves to do a good job yet. I don't know why we would um, believe that their way would be the right way. And they don't have any real foundation because they don't believe in any absolutes. So what their basis is for right or wrong, I'm still uh, at a loss. But we see these you know, social justice warriors and they, they have their there are different things that they seem to be fighting for and defending. And they're defending, you know, the, the rights of, of, of others, which sounds good. I mean, it sounds great, right? Except are they, are they, are they doing it the right way? What's the truth in this issue? And, and who are the, the victims that they're, you know, reportedly supporting or or, you know, you know, protesting for. Well, one of the big issues that we see now is this kind of a parentheses of, of victimhood, victims. They're all victims, right? So the social justice warriors are fighting for the victims. Well, what victims? Well, we have a whole list of victims uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit. And everybody seems to be a victim. It's like this new attitude that's in the air. It's almost like the, 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 the victim Olympics, right? Well, what team are you on? I mean, everybody's got to like be on a team. Everybody's got to have their thing. Well, part of that is because everybody has a thing. I mean, everybody has something that went wrong. Somewhere along the, the, you know, the line, there, there's been pain and suffering and trial. I mean, if you're human, right? If your parents had everything in the world, then you were raised a spoiled brat. So even that's bad. Um, well, where did this start? Where do we, we kind of 
get this from? Well, part of the, the beginning of this, and especially from a political movement, was, look, we, we, we had to correct this, this horrible evil, right? This horrible evil that, that plagued and marked America called slavery. And so the way to, to correct that was through this thing called affirmative action. So we'll fix racism by doing reverse racism. Um, not sure how that became a, a good thing, but, or a thing that would e even sounded good, but that's what happened. Well, again, on the outside looking in, all the other victims thought, well, wait a minute. Why do we only have one set of victims racially? So there started a, a line. That's a lineup of clans and groups and everybody mobilizing, every special interest group, fringe group, whatever group, right? This is why we now have all these different labels, LGBTQ, group and community. Uh, the dirty little secret is they don't like each other. They don't agree with each other. Their, their, their um, ideologies conflict with one another, but somehow they're in, you know, team over there with their banners. You know, you've got your other teams, you've got your political teams. But here's the thing, <clears throat> and before we even go a, a step further, look, and, and I mentioned it before, the, the truth is that, that we do have some real, like, pain and suffering that's happened in our lives, right? Uh, I mentioned before earlier that, you know, there's a, a time in my life where, you know, and I'll use this in my testimony, which is in, in Romans 5. While you were a helpless, sinful, ungodly enemy, that's when Christ died on the cross for your sin. Well, for me as a, as a, as a youth, I, I was helpless. It wasn't my fault. I was too young to be placed in these situations. Well, the truth is that's the way it was. That's where I was placed. Now, I could stay there. I could stay in that spot or I can move on. But those things were real. That those were real events. And so how do we address the how we address those past sufferings, those past pains, those past sins that we've committed, that have been committed against us? Well, again, and the reason why we're doing this series is the way we don't do it is through politics. That, that's why I hate doing this series, to be honest, because by definition, it becomes a political series, which I don't believe is, is the right way. But we need to address this because, again, through progressive Christianity, it's infiltrated in all our churches. And it's now through the church that they're waving the, the banners as big as anybody. And so we see now that there's been a, an indoctrination in, in our country, in our schools, through our politics, that this uh, indoctrination of, uh, of the, you know, the, the political interest groups, of, uh, of, of solving racism with more racism, has become just a normal way of life. It's just normal now. And it used to be that way. The idea of then taking that, taking these situations and saying, well, by definition, I have to look back and blame somebody for those things, right? Think about the weight. Think about the baggage. Think about the, the burden, the load that you would carry. Then to remember all the past things, then to make note of who did those things to you, even blame them, and then even walk now with the, the, the weight of not forgiving them. Because if I b blame them and I don't forget them, then I'm kept account of wrong suffered, which is completely opposite of what the Bible defines as love. And so now I haven't really forgiven them. So it becomes a, a, a really a vicious cycle. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But worst yet, when we take this this label of victimhood, ultimately what we're saying, especially in the context of the social justice categories, what we're saying is, you know who doesn't have the answer to solve these problems? 
the Bible, God. This book is not sufficient for solving our community problems, our sin problems, our past problems. This book doesn't work. Now, they don't say it that way, but, but that's the practical application. That's the practical application in the church. When the church says, look, we're going to fight evil out there on four corners with a march, joining a bunch of worldly people that have political intentions and, and not biblical ones. That's dangerous. That's diabolical. <clears throat> Our rock is Christ. Yes, we have pain. Yes, we have feelings and emotions, but we're not driven by those. And so this umbrella of victimology, we see it in many, many different ways. Uh, we, we see even with our political parties, and I'm not saying that either one of them is any good, but there's different aspects to these parties that, you know, typically speaking, the, you know, the, the Republican Party is like that party of hope. You know what? The American dream. I can do it. Just leave me alone and I will succeed or I'll die trying. And that's okay too. But I have hope and confidence and I, I just, I, I want that unfettered freedom. Whereas there's a, another side that's no, no, that's too hard. There's too many obstacles, too many difficulties, too many past struggles. Um, we can never, I mean, that's really what they're saying. What they're really saying is, is, you know what, everybody has this problem, and so we need the government then to put us all in jumpsuits and make it all even, because that's where it'll go. Trust me. I've read all the books. Um, the idea of, you know, hey, pull yourself up from the bootstraps, right? Um, that's an ideological belief versus, well, let's just have a welfare state. Let's just have somebody else take care of it. So when we see something like, you know, racism, and it's like, well, the, the victim mentality is, look, it's systemic. It's everywhere. It, it, it's everywhere so much so that you can't see it. That's how much everywhere it is. Um, or, or, or the idea of poverty. It's like, look, the only reason why we have poverty is because we have other people who make too much. And again, you read any dystopian book, and that's the whole premise of the Marxist movement or the communist movement, which is we're all gonna we all gonna be equal here, right? Except it's impossible. It's impossible to make everybody equal. The only way you can even come close is make everybody equally at its lowest common denominator, not its best, not 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 at the the height. And so, there's always an excuse there. I'm a victim. I'm poor because somebody else's fault. Even the, something like abortion. The argument with abortion, right, never comes to, well, you know, you didn't have to get there. Uh, you had a choice. You, you know how this works. But nobody wants to say, you know, it's your fault. In fact, they will go to, in the debate system, into a debate using the premise of a, 0.002% of an opportunity of when it happens, which is, you know, in the incest or rape, which so very rarely happens. That's not even really the argument. The issue is you made a choice and a decision, but nobody can say that because, no, everybody's just really a victim. Happened by accident. We look at things like mental health and even the, the labeling of things as mental health. Things like ADHD or depression or anxiety. The, the, these are, 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 are feelings and emotions that can be conquered without using pills. That need to be conquered without using pills. But we don't hear that nowadays. Um, instead, I'm a victim. Give me a pill. Um, gender ideology. The whole point of that is I shouldn't have been made this way. God, you made me wrong. I'm a victim. It, it, it's, it falls under the same umbrella. Climate change. Climate, it's everybody else's fault. Everybody else is going to kill the earth and destroy, you know, mankind. 
Of course, I still want air conditioning and to be able to drive and you know fly jets. It's, you guys need to change everything. But I'm a, I'm a victim. And see, and the problem with the victimology is, again, you're always blaming somebody else for your situation. Even worse than that, there's no solutions. I mean, just, just that's why I like listening to debates. I like listening to debates. Here. Okay, well, where's the actual like solution in your comment? And, and listen for it. There's no solution. There's more complaints. We have a problem with homelessness. Why? Why? Because we have 50,000 homeless people. Okay, that's just restating. Why do we have 50,000 homeless people? Because 50,000 people don't have homes. Okay, why don't 50,000 people have homes? Because they're on the streets. It's like, okay, you're just problem, identify problem, identify problem, identify problem. Where's the solution to the problem? And that's still not even the problem. They haven't even identified the problem, which is, and I've been on the streets and I've worked the streets in that industry with the gospel mission. And the real issue is they want to be there. You can't get them off the streets. Um, but we don't ever talk about that because they're all just victims. My favorite part of this is the whole intersectionality. If you guys have heard that, that phrase, it's a beautiful phrase. So, so now you take the victim special Olympics here and you say, okay, now we're going to compete and say, well, who has the most victimhood? Right? Because it's not just enough that you were born poor. Okay. You get, you get a point for that, but you're born poor. You're, 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 you know, born black. You're born a woman. You're born poor black woman from Nigeria. You're born. It's just, you keep adding different things. And the more things you can add, then it's like, well, I guess at the end of the day, you know, I win. I've had the worst life. Now what? I get to be like Charles Manson? I mean, because if you listen to the news, isn't that what always happens? They find somebody who does something evil and then they look and they say, well, this is why. And they go to the past and they blame everybody but that person who just committed the heinous crime. And so, again, the problem with having this victim mentality is it doesn't go anywhere. It, it just festers this, this concept of being bitter. And then that bitterness seeps into like being sad and depressed. And then you get angry because you're sad and depressed and bitter. And, and then that creates anxiety because you're sad and, and see how it mounts on top of itself. Well, we want to look at what the Bible says about how do we conquer this? W what is the biblical answer and response to moving on? Or are we supposed to just, just keep staying in the past? Is that a biblical concept? And so we're going to look at four things. One is you must press on. You must press on through opposition. The second point is you must press on despite success. The third point is you must press on and never look back. And the fourth point is you must press on towards heaven. We press on towards heaven. And so the first one is we, we conquer victi victimhood by pressing on through opposition. Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. So again, remember, this is a real letter written to real people, written to a real church. And so this church in Philippi, Paul's writing this letter, letter to his brothers. We see that he's writing the same things again. He's repeating himself. Look, we've been through this before. Guess what? That's okay. It's okay to repeat things. The, uh, you know, the, the, the key to learning is repetition. And repetition is the key to learning. 
So we keep repeating, especially as teachers, right? We repeat and we re repeat over and over and over again. Guess who started that? God. God. God does. He repeats himself all the time. So we see here, look, brethren, first step, first step, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How can you complain and can't claim victimhood and have joy? The two aren't are, are harmonious. It, it's, it's, it, it doesn't play beautiful music together. Either you're grateful and thankful and have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, or you're miserable and bitter because all you dwell on is the past. And so rejoice in the Lord. Set your mind right to begin with. And it's in the Lord. It's not in you. It's not how amazing you are. It's your rejoicing in the Lord, in the Lord. Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace. How do, how do I get through past victimhood? Because Christ is my peace. He's my peace. Ephesians 2.20, he is my cornerstone. James 1, through trials, we're called, we're commanded to what? to consider it joy, to be glad. Look, this is not a, ah, that sounds good for you kind of a thing. Th this is what God says. God has a mandate for us. James 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Not consider some of it joy. Uh, don't consider it joy. In fact, complain about it, label yourself a victim, and, and, and it's a bad thing. No, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Glad you asked. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let the endurance, because it grows, the more you're tried, the more you are tested, the more that it increases the endurance of your faith and it has a perfect result that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Who wants to be complete and lacking in nothing? I do. Who wants trials? <laughs> well, guess what? The complete lacking in nothing corresponds with the trials. So rejoice in the Lord because the trials are actually a good thing. Verse 2 says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. This is interesting language. So again, this is a real letter written to real people. It's written to the church of Philippi. And they're having this issue with, with false teachers. They're having an issue with the false brethren. They're having an issue with this concept of Circumcision. There's a big argument. All the Jewish people who are converted now to Christianity are like, look, we all have to be circumcised or you're not saved. And then the Gentiles are sitting there going, well, that's a Jewish thing. I don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So no, we're not getting saved. And so there's a fight and a debate within the church that look, there's something super duper spiritual about being circumcised that you need to do. Well, you can imagine if you heard that, how that might make you feel. And so there's this tension and Paul says, look, beware of the dogs. It's nice language. Not, not just, you know, beware of people who might kind of be wrong. He calls them dogs. He says they're evil workers. Why? Because legalism adding to the gospel is evil. A false gospel is, is evil. See, we're, we're too loosey-goosey. Ah, what's the big deal? So they're a little political. Uh, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of, of, of false doctrine. We, we can put kind of parentheses around the false circumcision and, and now apply this today because that's not really our issue today. So what's our issue today? Well, the false circumcision is false idea that we all need to be political, that we need to be 
social justice warriors because those issues that they are uh, supposedly defending are the same issues that we would care about, which we do. We just have different solutions, right? And so Paul says, be on the alert because you're going to have to press on through this opposition and this opposition will even be in the church. That's why it, it, it's the, the, when we see the false circumcision, we're talking about church people here. Okay, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We really struggle with our confidence in the flesh. What's our confidence in the flesh? We think we're smart. We think because we have degrees. We think because we've you know, read a couple books. We think because we know psychology or philosophy that, that you know, that, that we know something. So we put our confidence in knowing these things. Well, well, that's actually a false confidence because a lot of those things are untrue. And, and we have to be careful with those things. And so when we, again, think of what's a practical application of a false circumcision... Well, think of something like mental health. Okay, mental health. It's like, okay, well, do people really get sad and depressed? Yes. Is there something called clinical depression? Is there? Well, how would you know? You would have to cut somewhere in the head and do like a lobotomy type of thing and analyze Right, all the cells and, 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 and everything to actually make a scientific diagnosis that that's a scientific biological issue, disorder. Do they do that? No. They sit you on a couch and ask you questions. Did you have bad things that happened in the past? Mm, yeah. Uh, did, did you still think about them today? Mm, yeah. Uh, does those things make you sad? Yeah. You're depressed. Do you get depressed once a week, once a month, or every day? Eh, pretty much every day. Oh, you've got a mental health disorder. That's exactly how they do it. Okay, our family was in the medical transcription business. We typed all of the doctor's reports. I typed hundreds of doctor's reports for ADHD kids. Hundreds of them. Every time, same thing. Kid stays up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, plays video games all night long. You know, goes to school, doesn't want to pay attention or listen, is tired and falls asleep. ADD, ADHD, right? Likes to, you know, eat junk food and disobey parents. ADD, ADD. It's like, it's not science. It's behavioral. Well, the answer is easy. Drug him up. Give him a pill. High and low. Well, yeah, drugs do that. There's no doubt. Drugs have those effects. We can make you high and low. And look. There, there are plenty, plenty of actual serious mental issues that, that, that we need to take note of. But we don't need to add fake ones to it. Okay? So keep that in mind. But the truth, the truth is we don't put our confidence in the flesh. We put our confidence in in Christ Jesus. The, the way we press on through these, the opposition of people or the opposition of these things that happen is not by anchoring to the past, but by going forward and dwelling and putting our mindset on Christ. That's the solution. That's the solution. Like the fact is we're in a world full of sin. We're in a world full of sinners. They're in your family. They're in your shoes. They're in the church, right? There, there's going to be complications. And so for that, we can all claim a certain element of victimhood. Well, the second way we conquer victimhood is we press on despite success. And you think, well, that's kind of weird. How can I be a successful victim? Well, you can. Um, verse 4, although I myself have confidence even in the flesh continuing this this conversation 
If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So here's Paul saying, look, um, if it were possible to put confidence in yourself, so, so we don't conquer victimhood by, by just saying, okay, I'm just going to be awesome. Okay, because if you could, Paul said, look, I, I would be like the poster child of this. I was circumcised on the eighth day, following the law to a T. On the eighth day, bam. Because you know what? Eh, sometimes it's like, well, you went to the doctor on day five. Let's do it early. Well, I can't get to the doctor two weeks after, two weeks after. Nope, eighth day, I do it on the eighth day. He follows the law of the nation of Israel. Remember, there's tension in the room. Half the room is Jewish. Half the room is Gentile. Yeah, I'm a Jew. God's chosen. That was me. We were first. Okay. They're making a big deal. And, uh, and as a Jew, not only am I a Jew, from the tribe of Benjamin, like the best tribe. Okay. I'm not one of those lame tribes. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. A Pharisee, he was a student of the law. The law is the word of God, the commandments of God. That's what Paul's vocation was before he converted to Christianity. What did he do before Christianity? As to zeal, he persecuted the church. You know, church, what you're preaching is actually heresy. So we're going to kill you. He was obeying the law of the Old Testament, killing the false prophets, so he thought. That's how zealous he was. Okay? This guy's all in. As to righteousness in the law, he would have been considered blameless. Wow, think about that statement. I mean, I mean this is a very upright guy to even be able to say. And he says, look, um, okay, so here's my self-confidence. If you could have it, I have it. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted a loss for the sake of Christ. See, the problem with putting confidence in the flesh, it's that idea of, you know, it's easy for the rich man to go through an eye, right? An eye of the needle, then or, I'm messing it up. I knew I was going to do that too. I always get tongue-tied. It's easy for a camel Right? To go through the eye of a needle. Then a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? I thought it was good to be rich. I thought that was the goal to be rich. No. Um, success isn't always a good thing. I mentioned the spoiled brat. What about the arrogant, egotistical person who thinks he's so great he doesn't need anybody else? Uh, that's a problem too. And Paul says, look, whatever things I thought were a gain to me, those things I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value. Look, there's nothing more valuable, nothing more important than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He takes all of this and goes, you know what? To trade all of this stuff for the Lord, forget it. I consider all of this stuff, all of this success. In the Greek, it's rubbish or scubalon, which is a pile of dung. Okay? This, this, this stuff that we think is so great is is. It's what you would find in a baby's diaper, okay? Um, that in order that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own falsely derived from the law, but that which is through faith. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace, not by law, not by acts of righteousness. But see, Success can, can cloud our vision. Success can make us think that things are, are better than they are, right? You'll find your prayer life usually goes down when you're doing well, 
Why? Well, I don't need God, right? We're, we're doing good. In fact, what I need is two weeks more vacation to spend all this money I have. When things go bad, you're on your knees. Somebody's dying. When you're sick, when you're, when you're fighting to pay the bills, you're on your knees, right? Those things correspond with each other. And so success can put you in a bad spot too. And what Paul says here is, look, through faith in Christ is how I gain the righteousness that comes from God totally on the basis of faith. So the way I'm going to conquer victimhood or a victim mentality or a victim mindset, even in good times, is I'm going to think about Christ. I'm going to live in Christ. And so his real treasure, his real gain is identifying with Christ. Well, how do we now make that shift, that swing? Well, the third way is we're going to press on by not looking back, by, by not looking back. And this is really important for us. It's really important because our society, our culture has completely reversed this. And so we live in a culture and a society that, that thinks that this is our starting point, that our starting point for solving problems is by going back. Uh, we could say it started with Freud, go back to the childhood, right? But really, it's, it's also a Catholic hangover. Uh, I see this a lot, especially as a pastor, where, where people will want to come and talk. And actually, they don't really want to come and talk at all. All they want to do is lay out all these different things that, that have happened in their life as though it's like a, a, a confessional. And then this is why their husband's so bad, right? This is why this, this neighbor's so bad. This is why their situation's so bad because of all this victimology that's been laid out. Verse 10, that I may know him. The goal is to know Christ. The goal is to know Christ, not pop a pill, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, of his sufferings. Well, that's a weird comment. I mean, you hear this normally when people are, are evangelizing and, and, and spreading Jesus, right? Hey, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know why? So you can suffer with him. Uh, you don't see that in the seeker-friendly church. You, you need Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus suffered. And you're going to suffer too. Sign up here. Right? That I may know him. How do we know him? How do we know the power of his resurrection? Resurrection started with death and burial, and pain, and suffering, right? The power of his resurrection, and the fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The way to identify with Christ's resurrection, because I want to be resurrection, is to first identify with his sufferings and his pain. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained it, Paul says, or have already become perfect. Look, I'm working through this. I'm not great at this either, Paul says. But I'll tell you one thing. So here's Paul. Here's somebody with wisdom. Here's somebody who's, who's, who, who has a, a, a clear understanding of the word and of the, of, of the gospel in earnest. Paul says, I'll tell you what. Let me give you one little tip here. You, you, you want a tip on, on how to live? how to live through suffering, how to live through the past, forget it. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Well, fascinating concept. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's a mental mindset. 
It's a framework. You make a decision. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So what's happening here? Well, again, modern psychology says, and we see this in the church, you'll see this in the most popular um, YouTube, you know, pastors today, you'll hear this kind of thing. Okay, don't deny the past. Don't deny it. Identify it. Identify it. Um, You need to list all your past grievances. You need to list them out. Get, Get it all out there in the open. Right? How does that sound? Isn't this what we hear all the time? Don't bottle it up. Don't bottle it up. You're, you're not free if, if you bottle it up. No, face it. Feel it. And then you can conquer it. Now that probably sounds good because we've heard it a million times. This is all we hear. It's all we've been hearing in every TV, movie, school, most churches teach this. Go to the beginning. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Open up the wound. Open it up again. There's a lot of problems with doing that. One of those problems is um, those wounds don't just happen like in a vacuum, right? Um, what happens is uh, Brian did this to me. So, so this thing that I... Should have forgotten about because we were eight years old, for Pete's sakes. Now I'm going to remember that thing, which immediately identifies to him. And you know what else he did to me? You know how the other trouble he caused me and the other grief. And just imagine going through that with everybody you know. Uh, You're not going to be happy. I'll guarantee you that. And you're going to start stirring some stuff up, right? And what does that have to do with Christianity? That is the antithesis of Christianity. That is why it's so evil. It's so wicked to stir this stuff back up. Christianity is about forgiveness. It's about Christ dying for your sins. Forgiving you of your sins. Which then enables you to flip the script and forgive others for their sins and everybody else. And when we do that, we let it go. We, we don't dwell on it. We certainly don't like reach backwards and go try to dig it up again. That's insanity. But we see it all the time. And so we're called to press on in this fellowship of suffering. Uh, we read James 1, how we're to consider it joy. <clears throat> Romans 5 has a, a different take and a different blessing. Romans 5, 3. And not only this, we exult in our tribulation. We exult in it. These are not bad things. Okay, we exult in tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Again, don't we want proven character? Um, the only way to prove something works is you got to exercise it. You, you, you got to, you know, I'm, I'm training Charlotte how to drive, right? Susan and I pray for us. And... <laughs> Well, the only way she's going to learn is she's got to do it. And the only way she's going to learn is she's going to make mistakes. You just hope that those mistakes aren't too big. But there's going to be mistakes because she doesn't know how to drive because she's learning how to drive. She's got to learn how to drive. She's going to make mistakes. Well, that's what ultimately is going to prove whether or not she can drive. So we've got to go through the process. And some pain and suffering and trials are bigger than others. And hopefully you don't do something that's so big it lasts forever, right? Because some consequences are shorter than others. But we gain character. That's why we have to learn how to, how to embrace these things, 
not cling to them as as the the source of your current problem there's an interesting phrase here it says in in humility in humility we identify so the the idea of of identifying in humility is again it's not because you're so awesome and amazing and strong our humility comes from the fact that we're clinging to Christ we're clinging to Jesus like that's all we have by by a by a fingertip we're just holding on and so how do we how do we press forward how do we hold on to Christ well we do that by keeping our eyes forward and and not behind have have you ever run and and try to run fast while looking behind you i mean if you want a trip that's a great way to do it but if you want to run fast, if you want to get to your point, you set your eyes on the prize looking ahead and you run forward. You don't look back. You do not look back. And, and the idea here is the idea of like a race. You don't look back to the race. You look forward to the finish line to get that prize. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Galatians 2.20 says it a different way. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. <clears throat> Look, we're going to have pain and suffering, but we're going we're gonna to let that go. It's on the cross. It's the whole point of the cross. We abolish the cross when we cling and open up the past. You have to understand that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. Verse 15. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves. When you live in the past, when you take on the, the, the helmet of victimology, you're doing it for yourself. That's you thinking of you. That's you looking and staring in the mirror. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my life? It's just that, that utter focus on self. He died for all that we shall live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, he is a new creature. What does that mean? I love the phrase born again. I love the phrase new creature. But what does it mean? It means the old things passed away. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And now all these things are from God who reconciled us himself through Christ. Look, as a new creature, as a born again, the old things have passed away. One of the things I, I feel very grateful for is in, in my old past, in my old ways, and I've mentioned this before, I've got an old, an old name. I've got an old identity. My family and my friends know me by T, not by Tony. Definitely not by Pastor Tony. You know what? T is dead. That guy remains no longer. And, and if I go back and, and, I, and I think of that guy and that guy's friends and that guy's family and that guy's stuff, either I get miserable, sad, and depressed, or I get angry at the things that people did to affect me. None of those have anything to do with Christianity and growing and being born again in a new creature. It's a bad place to be. So, so what we do is we press on. We look forward. There's a prize at hand. There's a prize at stake. Look, we know this. Well, when you garden, gardening's not easy. I always love seeing people's gardens, right? And you see all these flowers and all this stuff. And, you know, when I look around and I see this garden, I'm like, wow. That's a lot of work. I don't sit there and go, wow, they're lucky. <laughs> Flowers just sprout all over the place. No, there's labor, there's toil, there's sweat. And then you get the harvest. The trial first, 
then the reward. When you're cooking, it's the same thing. You know, you're chopping up the onions, you're crying, right? You cut your fingers and all that kind of stuff. You get burns all over. If you're a cook, these are all the things that happen. But at the end, you make amazing meals and it produces sweet fellowship and everybody is full of joy. Sports are a great picture of that. It's the agony, the grind, the toil. In the course of a season, you lose games, you fail, you have injuries. But at the end, as long as you're the champ, that's all you remember. That's all you care about. You don't hear these guys reported at the end when they're holding up their trophy. Well, in the first game, uh, this guy hit me in the back on purpose. So we had an all-team brawl. Why would you do it? It's like, forget it, man. You're the champion. Let it go. It's over. Um, Unfortunately, in baseball, they don't let it go. They get deal with you next year, um, which, again, is why it's evil and wicked. Grinding, failing, and pain is, is the humbling part of this process to prove your character, to actually have and find real joy. So don't complain about the journey. Don't blame or dwell on the past. No, forget what lies behind and press on towards what's ahead. Why? Because what's ahead is so much more beautiful and amazing. It's our hope. It's our promise. So we conquer victimhood by pressing on towards heaven. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. So, so here's Paul. And he has this example of, you know, hey, I've done amazing, great things. Um, <clears throat> but... I, I can also say that I've had struggle. Paul, by the way, has a, a great list in Corinthians. In Corinthians, make sure I'm in the right spot here. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6. This is the same Paul that listed his list of credentials. Here's another list you don't hear about very often. 2 Corinthians 6. Um, four. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in, sl in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity and knowledge, and patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit. Paul suffered in his life, in his Christian life. But he didn't run around writing books about his sufferings. He didn't blame people for his trials. No, he constantly, forgetting what was in the past, pressed on forward. He says, now look, join me in the following of my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. I hate seeing verses like this. The verses of the pagan, the Philistine, the enemies. Okay, I can deal with those. When I see the verses that include the people that we live and breathe with, our family, our friends, people who are in the church, who we think are friends of the cross or actually enemies of the cross, that, make, that breaks my heart. <clears throat> it breaks my heart to think of, false teachers, and false br uh, brethren. That breaks my heart. But we're warned of that. Verse 19, whose end is destruction. We have to be on guard because there, there are people that will tell us lies. The lies that going back to the past is good. Being a victim is good. It's not good. Why? For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even a weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. See, the whole problem with this social justice warrior movement and mindset is they dwell and set their minds on earthly things. And their appetite is for earthly things, not for godly things, not for the glory of God. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for a savior, 
the Lord Christ Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. In the next chapter, Paul goes on to say this, Philippians 4, verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Look, we might have nothing. We might have a lot. We may have a lot of past junk in our lives. We may have had a great life. It doesn't matter. Consider it a loss. We're looking forward because our citizenship is in heaven. That's our goal. That's what we press on to. That's what we set our minds towards. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this thing is, is just a tent. Our body is just a tent. It's temporary. Start thinking about what lasts forever. Start by forgetting what's in the past, forgetting and labeling yourself as a victim. You're not a victim. You're a conqueror. You're a child of God. You've been born again. You've been adopted by Christ. Dwell on that. Identify in that. So Romans 6, you know what? I'm dead to sin. T is dead. Tony's alive. Romans 8, I've been adopted. I've been adopted. I got a new daddy. I got a new master now. I follow him. I allow the process, Romans 12, to be to allow myself to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I have to set my mind on something else. I can't let my mind occupy two spaces at once. Victimhood and conqueror. I'm a conqueror. I have a new life. That life is gone and dead. And so, like an athlete, I forget the past. I forget the past failures. I, Ephesians 4, I lay it aside. As the great song says, let it go. I'm not going to sing it, but you know it. Let it go. 1 Corinthians 13, the great reminder of love, keeping no accounts of wrong suffered. We don't keep score. We don't write it down. You know why we don't keep score? You know why we don't write it down? So we keep score, we write it down, then we'll look at it, we'll remember it, and we'll dwell on it. We don't do that. We, we, we let it go. We forgive and put away all bitterness. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 lays this out so beautifully. <clears throat> Ephesians 5. Th- um, uh, actually, it's not Ephesians. It is Ephesians 4. Yeah, Ephesians 4. Let all Ephesians 4:31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and cl- and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's nothing that will make you more bitter and angry and slanderous than remembering the past. Verse 32 and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Why? Just as God in Christ forgave you. This is Christianity 101. God forgave you. You have to forgive them. Matthew 18 is very clear. The culmination of Matthew 18, of the the slave who owes money that he cannot ever pay, and the master forgiving the debt. Then the slave turning that back around on another slave and wanting to throttle him for five bucks. And at the end it says, you wicked servant. And he puts him back in prison to pay a debt he cannot pay. And the end of that is, and so will your father do to you if you don't forgive others. You can't forgive others if you constantly look back. You can't do it. It's not possible. It's poison to your soul. 
you, you have to fight against that. <clears throat> and so we have freedom. Job reminds us, Job reminds us, the story of Job is a great picture that God is loving. God is sovereignly in control. Trust him. Trust him. Be Job for a second. Brutal situation. But trust God. Lean on him. Joseph understood at the end of the trial. He understood what you meant for evil. God meant for good. That, that all of that granted evil, bad, wicked, horrible, hate it. No, okay, you know what? God's going to use that to strengthen your character, to give you ultimate joy so that you're a conqueror and not a victim. And with that joy and with that message, that's what you go out the doors and preach and teach your neighbors and friends and family about this hope that we have in freedom in Christ and heaven. Not, you know what? Let's exchange notes here about how bad our lives were. What hope is there in that? There's none. We're not victims. We're conquerors. Let's pray.